not, and you'd like to read with us, we'll look in Zechariah chapter number 3. Zechariah chapter number 3. That's uh, the second to last book of the Old Testament. So if you turn to Matthew, it's just a few pages back. Maybe we'll just read a couple verses and look at those and walk on down as the Lord would lead us. So starting in verse number 1, if you found your place. Zechariah 3, verse 1. And he shewed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. We'll stop there. Lord willing, we'll look farther than that. But to, to get the understanding of where we are here. So Zechariah, he's prophesying about the time of Nehemiah or Ezra. Israel, Judah's been carried captive into Babylon. They've been there for 70 years. Babylon laid waste to the city of Jerusalem. They leveled the walls. They leveled their houses. They destroyed the temple. And we know why that God allowed that to happen. They had sinned and forsaken God. So God had allowed the enemy to come in and overrun them, laid waste to the city. And after this 70 years, God graciously brings His people out of Babylon, allows them to come back to Jerusalem, and here they are now. They've got no city. They, they have no walls. They have no temple. And for 70 years, there's been no priesthood. There's been no sacrifices. There's been no offerings. And there's people here. You can look at Haggai. He was a prophet around this same time. There were people that were weeping because they knew what the temple looked like before. They knew how that things operated. They were alive before they went into captivity and here they are, they're being brought back and to compare the two, to compare what they had here with what they had before. They were disappointed, they were sad, they wept. But you know, the, the Lord encourages here. It's not in the outward things. And so here, here's Joshua the high priest and he's standing before the angel of the Lord so if, if you look down in verse 7, not to get ahead of ourselves too early, but in, in, in verse 6, I'm sorry, the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. So who is this angel? Well, he's the, the Lord of hosts. He's the captain of the army of God. He is, you know, Joshua seen the captain of the army of God. Here's Jesus. Here is the, the, the chief of all principalities and powers. You know, God took Jesus after His victory over this world, over sin and over the grave, and He set Him at His right hand above all principalities and powers in the heavens and on the earth. And He made Him to be the standard that everyone's going to be judged by, and He's also the judge that's going to bring judgment on all. And here's Joshua. You know, I, I believe we can see this. He's, he's coming into the temple here to give sacrifice unto God. And you know what Joshua is? You know what Aaron was? 
You know what all of these priests were? Bible says in Hebrews that the law made men priests that were infirmity. They were sinners. They come before God as sinful men to offer sacrifices and do service unto God. And as Joshua's coming into the temple, here's the, the devil. Here's Satan to resist. The name even, it means an opponent. That's what that word Satan means. And that, that is what Satan is. As we would come to worship God as the church would gather to, to try to pray. I don't know how you are, but have you ever got down to try to pray? And you know, right there's the devil to resist you. Yeah. Right there's the devil to oppose you. We know Peter said that he was as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible calls him the dragon, that old serpent, the devil. He that accused the brethren before God day and night. There He is to oppose. There He is to restrict and to cast down and to bring doubt in the hearts of the people of God. There He is as, as we would try to serve God, as we would try to, to pray and intercede with God. There's our enemy to oppose and to resist us and to cast doubt. Now Joshua here, he's sinful. There's, there's no question about that. We'll see that as we get on down in here. And you know, as, as he would come in to offer, there's the devil. Where's the devil at? He's not out in the trees. He's, he's in the head and in the thinking and in the carnal mind, as has already been said, that that's enmity with God. There the devil is spreading his deceit and his deception and his lies in his desire to hinder us from coming to God. And he says, Joshua... You can't come in the temple. Who do you think you are to come and offer something to God as sinful as you are? Look at him. There he is. He's got his filthy garments on. He's there standing before God and he's sinful. You know, we can look in Ezra chapter 10 and we see there the sins. They had, they had went out and married strange wives. They went out and married women that were not Israelites that were idolatrous. They had brought this in and, and even Joshua, his sons, had married strange wives. Now do you think right there the devil had something to gouge about? A, a lot of times we like to think of ourselves as being above reproach and super saints and holy to the nth degree. But my God, how you, you get it down. That's not sober thinking. That's, that's intoxicated thinking. You get down the Word of God and you look at what God says that I am. You look at the, the strictness and the straightness of God's law. And I'll tell you the truth of myself and of what I've got on, you know, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All of the goodness that I could come and approach God before, I would be no better nor different than Joshua. And the devil says... Who do you think you are trying to pray to God as sinful, as doubting, as rebellious, and as wicked as you are? Who do you think you are coming to worship this God? You've got no business there. Now, is, is that, that's the devil. That's exactly how he works. Even as you would pray... You ever got down to pray and, and there's the devil? You, you're not going to get heard today. 
God's not paying attention to what you're saying today. You have sinned so much today or this week, or this month, God's not going to pay any attention to what you've got to say. There would even, even be folks that would tell you that. That's of the devil. When have you ever got heard by God because you had been so good? i tell you what I find. I find myself over and over coming with filthy clothes and sin all over me. Even, even all of my righteousnesses is filthy rags in the sight of God Almighty. The only good really that can be done is by the Spirit that God gives and that God produces through us. It's, it didn't originate in me. So there's the devil standing at his right hand. You know the right hand, that, that hand of power. I realize there's left-handed people, but the vast majority, they're right-handed. And if you know, if I'm going to do anything, it's going to be my right hand that does it. I can't throw. I can't write. I, 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 this is, it's so, it's, it's amazing, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to do something, it's going to be with my, my hand that, that has all of the ability in it. True. Well, there's where the devil's at. He's at his right hand. He's there to oppose and resist the worship, the prayer, the repentance, however you want to say it, of Joshua. And the Lord said unto Satan. Now, did Joshua have to do this? I tell you, man thinks today, well, I'll just tell the devil to get behind me and he'll listen. You know, they as some men thought they'd do that one day. And they went down to one that was possessed with the devil and they said, in the name of Paul the apostle and Jesus Christ, you get out of him. And the devil said, Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but you we don't know. And they tear them. That devil jumped up and whooped them. They had no power over the devil. Now the, the truth is, in us we don't have power over the devil either. Even Jude wrote in the New Testament that Michael the archangel, he didn't reproach Satan, but he said the Lord rebuke thee. And so that's what we see here. Here's Joshua coming. Now here's a sinful man. If anybody has got accusation, Joshua's got accusations against him. If anybody does not deserve to come before God, Joshua doesn't deserve to come before God. If anybody is unfit and unworthy, Joshua is unfit and unworthy. But you know what the Lord's going to do? The Lord says, the Lord rebuke thee, Satan. The, the Lord Jehovah, that's the name that's used there. Sometimes you'll see Lord in your Bible, L and lowercase o-r-d. Here if you look, it's capital L-O-R-D. That's that holy name, Jehovah, in the Old Testament for God. This isn't just the God of Babylon that's rebuking Satan. This is God that's rebuking him. And the Lord rebuke thee, Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? The Lord rebukes him. And, and you know what this is? Here's justification for Joshua. The devil's accusing. The devil's got reason to accuse. Joshua's guilty before God. But the Lord says, Satan... I rebuke thee. I tell you to get back. It's God that's doing the justifying work here. 
It's not Joshua's work. Look with me in Romans chapter 8, if you would, for just a minute. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So here is the God Jehovah, the chief authority. And now we believe, I I believe we could say this, and everyone agree, there is no higher power than God. There is no uh, higher one that we can appeal to, but what God says... That's the way that it is, and it's unchangeable. God said Himself, my word is forever settled in heaven, never to be changed. He said, I'm not a man that I should repent. My, my, when, when God says it, that's the way that it is. Now, if I oppose God... Does that change anything? If the church as a whole, if the Southern Baptists as a whole would oppose what God says and vote against God's Word, does that change it? See, God's immutable. What God says is steadfast and sure and cannot be undone. It can't be thrown out. There's not going to be a court that's going to overrule it and throw out God's law. God is the supreme authority. We could look in the verses previous here in Romans 8 and we could see that we are here by the election and predestination of God Almighty. Now if God's done all of this, this is what Paul's saying. That if God be for us, If God has done all of this work that we could be brought into the family of God, if God has given His Son that our sins could be taken away, if God's called us into this salvation, if God has washed our sins away, and God has said, I've adopted this one into my family, I have forgiven their sins, they are just and righteous in my sight, then who is it? that's going to come up against that and say that cannot be. I tell you what it is, it's a, it's a lie of the devil. He's a liar and the father of it. If God has said that I'm forgiven and my sins are gone, then friends, I can go and pray knowing my sins are gone. Amen. Yeah. Amen. The Lord done this. It wasn't a church that voted. And sometime down the road, they're going to vote and take it back from me. The Lord rebuke thee. Even the Lord of hosts rebuke thee. And so Paul says, if God's for us, if God's on my side, who's going to overrun Him? He says in Proverbs, though hand join in hand. You see a little bit of that today, don't you? You see the world come together and they're locking arms against the gospel. Against the law of God. 
against the church. Maybe even against you. And they say, we're not going to have that. We're not going to put up with that. We're going to outlaw that. We're going to run that out of our coast. And we're not going to have this God to be our God. Well, know this. If every single person in the United States of America locked arms and said, God, you are not going to be our God. That's not going to stop God in the least bit from accomplishing and fulfilling His purpose. And whether, whether it's the entire country or just five people, God can destroy one just as easy as He can bring an end to everything that we see here in our presence. And if God's for us, and if God's justified... Now, He's going to go into it here. He that spared not His own Son. How much is God for us? See, the devil says, the Lord really don't care for you. I mean, if the Lord cared for you, if the Lord cared about you and what you thought and how you felt, then things would be different. Ain't that what he says? That's exactly what he says. It wouldn't be like that for you if the Lord really cared. I tell you, you know what I've got? I've got a receipt that shows me how much the Lord cares. Paul says, He that spared not his own son. You know what the Lord did? He took his son and gave him for the purpose of saving my soul. And God says there's no greater love than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Now think about this now. If somebody burst in here and they were shooting, we may in adrenaline and in a rush, some of these men may get up and go to take him out to protect everybody here. But you know what that is? That's spur of the moment... That's quick thinking. But now if I put it to you like this, listen, Jason, it's either my son's going to die or you. What would you pick? It's different then. Because you know what's here? Well, wait, I've got a wife. And I've got family. And I'm probably going to have grand youngins. And you know, God's got a, a work for me. It's not as easy as it is in the spur of the moment. No, I tell you, who, who's going to be willing to do that after thinking about it? Only one that truly loves. In order for me, you know, if you ask me that, the same question, I'd lay my life down in a heartbeat for one of my boys. You know why? Because they're mine and I love them. I tell you, the Lord proved to me that He loved me because He did not spare His own Son. You know what the Lord prayed? The Lord said, Father, if it would be Thy will, if there's any other way, would You let this cup pass from me? The Son of God prayed that. And He prayed that not a flippant prayer like we do so often, but He was praying in the garden and His sweat even became as great drops of blood for the grief and the suffering that He was about to endure. And you know what God didn't? God didn't give. God said you've got to go because these have to be redeemed. Now if God would not spare His own Son, but would give Him 
for my sins that I could be redeemed, what wouldn't God do? See, the devil's a liar. Who shall lay anything? We're still in Romans here. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now, if God has declared me to be just and righteous, who then is going to overrule God and take away my justification? You know, the governor can come out and say something or, or put something in place. The president can, but you know what there is? There's checks and balances there. There's somebody, uh, the, the Congress and the Senate, they might overrule that. The courts might overturn that and say that man does not have that authority. Friends, the devil is not an equal with God. He's created, is he not? Martin Luther said the devil was God's devil. And he is God's devil. And when God sees fit, he's going to cast that liar into the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. But friends, just because the devil gets in my mind and says, listen, you're not justified. Your sins aren't forgiven. I tell you what I can do. I can take him to the Word of God whether I feel like it or not. Right. I don't feel like it today. I feel like I'm a sinner. I feel like I've got on filthy clothes. I don't feel like I can pray. I can go to the Word of God and say, God said I was justified and that cannot be taken away. How I feel does not change what God has done for me. <laughs> Who is he that condemneth? So God's justified. Now who's going to take that away? Who is going to bring condemnation? Well, see, God's justified, but there's another judge. Maybe that happens in our land today. Maybe we're going to go to the Buncombe County Courthouse. We're going to stand before that judge. And he says, you know, I don't have the authority here. I'm going to pass it on to the federal court. I'm going to pass it on to somebody else. Well, friends, the one that justifies in God's court is the same one that condemns. So if the one that can condemn has already justified why well, he's going to take it back. I say God can't no. take it back. No, if he justifies me and takes it back, then he's a liar. And I've got the word of God that he cannot lie. He can't lie to me. God didn't lie to me when he saved me. He didn't give me eternal life for me to lose it. God gave me something that will remain forevermore. He cannot lie. And he can't condemn that that he's justified. It is Christ that died, yea rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I'd like for you to see this, the whole picture now. So we've got the judge. He's justified. And he can't lie. He can't go back on His Word, so He can't condemn us. Not only that, though, this judge is the one 
that said, I know that that man's guilty. You know, Satan can come and say, God, that man's guilty. And you know what I have to say? Yay, Lord, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But you know what? Not, not, a, not a lawyer standing beside me, but the judge himself is going to stand up and say, wait a minute now, he's guilty and he's worthy of death, but you know, I went to the cross and I bore his shame and I bore his sin and I died for him and he is forgiven and justified by my power. I mean, what place does the devil have to take away what we've got? You talk about secure steadfast and firm. So one more place in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 1. Verse number 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. If you've got any time today after you go home, I want you to sit down and read verse 1 through 15 of this chapter. And I want you to to think about it now. How many times does He say that I done something versus how many times He did something? So you know what God's did? Well, preacher, I made a move and and I got my sins washed away and, and I've lived good and I've done right. You know what all that's in? That's in me. I tell you what Paul's writing in Ephesians, that God has made me accepted. I was not accepted before. I could not be accepted before. I had sinned and marred my garment. It was stained with the filthiness of my living and my language and my conversation. But you know, through the blood of the Lord Jesus, He made me to be accepted in Him. Right. So what can we say? Well, as the devil would accuse, I can say, Amen. I'm not acceptable of myself, but I'm coming in Jesus Christ. That is, God looks on my prayer. You know, in the Old Testament... Just a little picture. You'll see it. You'll see it even in the New Testament, in Luke, I believe, where Zacharias is in the temple, and they're praying. They're outside the temple praying because it was the time of incense. You know how the priest would get that golden censer, and there was that holy incense that couldn't be copied. The recipe couldn't be copied. It was only for use at the temple. And twice a day, he'd get coals off the altar and sprinkle the incense on that vessel, that censer, and the smoke would rise up and go over the veil in there to where the ark was, where God was. And during that time, the people would gather and pray. That was a time of prayer. You know why? God God ordained all that to be as it was. That was to show me that on their own, my prayers, they're unacceptable to God. Honest to God, they're unacceptable. But you know, God was good enough to make a way 
that some incense could be offered and that sweet smell would go up before God and then I could pray in the midst of that incense and it would take away the, the filth of a stench of my sin. You know, that's what the Lord Jesus is. He's that sweet-smelling savor unto God that when I come to God, God's not smelling me and He's not smelling my abomination and He's not smelling my wickedness, but Jesus is the sweet savor and it's in and through Him that we come to God. And so, devil, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who has justified us, taken away our sins. He gave His life for them and He's died that we could be accepted. We we don't come at at all with any confidence in ourselves. There can't be any. And if I come with confidence in myself, I'm not going to be able to reach God. So let's look back. And Zechariah didn't, didn't intend on taking that long. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? God says to the devil, that brand, it's, it's a poker. It's that that's used to stoke the fire. And now here's one that's been left in the fire. Now you imagine that now. You, you have a fire going, a, a good roaring fire in the middle of winter, and you leave your poker in there. And it's one of them old, I don't know what kind you might have, but one of them old iron ones. And you let that sit there for an hour or two, and you go grab that. What's it going to be? It's going to be hot. It's going to burn. You're not going to be able to pluck it out. You know, that's what you and I were. Honest to God, that's what we were. We were candidates for hell. And even though we were living and moving and have our being in this world, the very instant that we would have died, we would have been in the burning. Is that not the truth? But God says of Joshua, Satan, I rebuke you. This is the brand that I plucked out of the fire. I loved that one. I had compassion on that one. And I reached, why preacher, we reached out and grabbed hold of God. I beg to differ. I was a brand in the burning and His hand come out and laid hold of me and plucked me out of the fire. Satan, this is one that I have redeemed. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. We've looked at some glorious things. But boy, we've still got a problem. We've got a conscience before God. And I'm going to tell you, if it was the devil's way, he would hound us in and under a guilty conscience day after day after day. He says in John that if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence. But if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. He can overcome that. Uh, He also says, I write these things that you sin not. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We've got a means for that to be taken care of. But the Lord now, the Lord didn't just die and resurrect and sit at the right hand and save us from destruction and all of that be in the world that's to come. 
Now, I don't take anything away from that. There's a day coming that the redeemed of the Lord will gather complete and whole, not in bodies of flesh, but in bodies that are like His, and all through eternity will sing the glory and praise unto the Lamb of God that died for them. And I don't mean to take anything away from that. But boy, he's done, he's done a lot for me right here. And not just, not just in the unseen, but my conscience now. That's what bothers us. That's where Satan would accuse us because he, he's got no place in our heart anymore. Right? He cannot take back from God what God has taken for himself. Well, I don't know about... Well, I, the Lord Jesus said that they're in my hand and no man can pluck them out of my hand. And that's not the end of it either. But my Father is greater than all, and we're in His hand as well. So He can't take that. But you know where He would reside, and where He would resist, and where He would oppose, is in the mind and in the conscience that as we come before God, as we would come to offer worship to God, as we would come to offer prayer to God, there He is in our conscience trying to once again tread us underfoot for guilt of our sin. That's that's the truth. So let's look at a place or two in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 64. Isaiah 64, verse number 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Who is that not true of? Would this be true for everybody? I mean, it says we all. All would include me, and it would include you. It would include Israel, and it would include the Gentiles. It would include the United States, and and would it not include everybody? And I'll tell you what we're like. We're like a dried up leaf that the wind blows and blows it away. You want to come before God by your works. That's what you're like. A dried up leaf. We've got no place, I tell you, but in Jesus, in Hebrews chapter number 9, if you'll look with us there for just a few minutes. Hebrews chapter number 9, verse number 11, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls, of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So get the picture here. We've got 
Old Testament priesthood and the work that Jesus done. So let's just take Aaron as an example. And here, I've sinned. I've committed this sin. And God said, well, what you need to do is take two turtle doves down to Aaron and give them to him. And he's going to kill them and he's going to offer them to God and your sins are going to be forgiven. And if, if I could go now, if I could go down to Aaron who was in with the people making a golden calf. If I could go down to him and give him my doves and him offer that and I could say, well, I I don't feel guilty anymore because I've done what I'm supposed to do. Aaron's offered it unto God and I believe God's forgave me. That's the way they did in the Old Testament. They come to a, a man. But boy, look at the difference now. It's not that we come to Aaron but we come to Christ, the priest of good things yet to come. And I don't bring him a calf, and I don't bring him a dove, and I don't bring him a goat to go offer to God that my sins could be forgiven. But I tell you, this priest, you talk about a mighty and powerful priest, this priest is one that died and rose again, and he goes and takes his blood. Into God. It's not by the blood of a goat. It's by the blood of Jesus. And so that blood now not only purges me outwardly, but He gets into the conscience. How does He get in there? Now, I don't mean to be irreverent, but that literal dripping blood, that didn't drip on me. And that didn't reach into my heart either. I understand the picture that we get there. I understand that. But you know what happened was He forgave my sins. He justified me. He placed me as a son in His family. But farther than that, He entered into me with His Spirit. And not just a cleansing of the record in heaven, but by the Spirit He cleansed me inwardly as I live and walk here. And my conscience today, I'm a sinner. And I've sinned. I've sinned this week. Now how could we? If, if you have sinned this week, how can I come and pray to God? Don't be self-righteous. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He with clean hands and a pure heart. Now has your heart been clean this week? And are your hands clean? Don't lie. Lord have mercy, don't lie. If you've not done something you shouldn't have, you failed to do something you should have. And so we've got no place to ascend the hill of the Lord today. You hear that junk over and over. Well, I'm prayed up and ready, and I'm ready to ride with the Lord Jesus. I tell you, if the Lord appeared here, we'd everyone fall on our face in fear of His presence. You wouldn't jump up and go with Him. You'd be like the prophet Daniel who fell as a dead man, and he didn't get up until God said, Daniel, get up. I tell you, there's how we stand in God's presence. Not of our works, but in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Lord says this. He's got this problem with His dirty clothes. And He answered and spake unto those that stood before Him, saying, Take away the filthy garments 
from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. God didn't wash up what he had. That's the best man can do. The best I can do is do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to rededicate myself. And I'm going to live, I'm going to be baptized again. And I'm going to clean up this garment that I've got. But you know the truth? I've got spots that I put on it that fuller soap can't wash off. That I could take to the dry cleaners and they can't wash that off of my conscience. There, the devil will rise up every time and he'll say, You did this. You're guilty. And I have to say, Amen. All of my doing better can't clean that off of my conscience. But you know what can? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Come and let us reason together. Though they be like crimson, though they be like that red wine spilled on that white carpet that nothing can take that out of there, though they be red and you be stained like crimson, I'll make them white as snow. You ever seen anything that white? you, You get a good snow, one that's high enough to cover the grass blades, and it's like a smooth blanket. And the sun come out the next day, and you go outside. And my God, it's so much brighter. You know why that is? That snow's pure and white. And it reflects that light. I tell you, that's the way the Lord, He makes sinners. He not only washes the record in heaven, but He washes our conscience that we may, as He says in Hebrews, serve the living and true God. That we can come with a clean conscience in Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry about all the sins that I've committed. I don't have to sit. My, what would it be? If I had to sit and go over and over all of the sins, of God forgive me of this and that and the other so that I can pray to you. If we had to do that every time, yeah. how much prayer would we have? Be real. Ah, man's got some big ideas. Boy, they ain't true. I'm telling you, that's not true. No, I don't have to come with a defiled conscience in Jesus Christ. I come in Jesus. And you know what I have? I don't have my raiment on anymore. He caused my iniquities to pass. Now, that don't mean that they just went up in the sky and disappeared. You know, you let a balloon go. When we got married, they let a bunch of balloons go and they just go plumb out of sight. And they disappeared. Them didn't disappear though, did they? They popped somewhere and that fell somewhere else. They went out of my sight, but they didn't disappear. Well, see, our sins, they don't just magically disappear like a rabbit in a hat. But God took our sins off of us and put them on His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Lord bore them. Not magic, not hocus pocus, but if if Lester was weighed down, if he had a pack on his back that had him down on the ground and I took that and lifted that up, he'd be lighter. But that load didn't disappear. Still there. I've got it. It's in my arms. See, that's what the Lord Jesus did. 
The Lord Jesus took the load that had our conscience defiled and He put that on His back and He carried that to the cross and He was nailed there and the enmity and the guilt and the trouble of the law was removed through His death. He was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So what does God see then? as he looks on his saints. Well, God's going to see how good I've been this week and he's going to answer my prayer this morning. That's drunken thinking. Drunken off the lies of the devil. No, i tell you how we come as the church. We come to God. We come in mercy, in compassion. We come by grace. And we pray, God, oh God, you ever prayed this? Don't see me. Don't give me what I deserve. But oh God, deal with me in compassion through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we come. Amen. Have pity. That's how we come unto God. He caused our iniquity to pass. He's clothed us with a change of raiment. And I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. A fair mitre. A pure, and this was a crown that the high priest wore. You know what he's going to do? He's going to enable him to perform the office that God blessed him with. He's going to have the ability to go in before God and offer sacrifices that are pleasing unto God. Do you know what the church is today? We're, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He says in Revelations, he says it two, maybe three times, that he's made us to be kings and priests. He's made us to be that, that not only are saved and that are justified, but we are able now, as he says in Hebrews, I better turn back there and we better read that real quick and I'll hush. I didn't intend on being long. In Hebrews chapter 10, for by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost is also a witness to us. For after that he had said before, and he's going to go into a quote from the Old Testament, that I'm going to take away their sins, I'm not going to remember their iniquities anymore, I'll be their God and they'll be my people. You know how we know that? Well, he says right here, we know that because his offering sanctified us and perfected us forever, and the Holy Ghost is a witness to us. You know that fair mitre, that ability to worship and praise and go in before God, that's not my works. Again, this, this has come from somewhere else. You see that? Joshua didn't have a fair mitre on. Joshua was filthy, but God's gave him new clothes that God bought and paid for, and God's gave him a mitre that he's bought and paid for. So how do we then come in before God? He told the woman at the well, she said, your people say that we ought to come to the temple at Jerusalem and worship, but you know my people say that up here in Samaria we should go to this mountain and worship. Now who's right? Well, Jesus answers. He says, you don't know what you're worshiping. True worship is of the Jews. The answer to that question at the immediate time was, the temple in Jerusalem is where you're going to worship God. 
But the time is coming, and now is, wherein that true worshipers shall worship God with pretty songs, shall worship Him with good words and fair speeches, should worship Him with hands. The Lord may use those very things to worship. But I'll tell you how it's going to be if it's going to be accepted. It's going to be in spirit and in truth. So God's gave us the Spirit as a witness. You know what it is? The Spirit, He's a, he's a surety to me. He's my assurance that I'm bought and purchased and paid for and that God's coming back to get me. He's my receipt. However you want to look at it. He says earnest in the New Testament. That's the pledge given as proof that I'm coming back tomorrow to buy what you've got for sale. He's given me a pledge and assurance that God's coming back to get me one day and He's not going to forsake me and He's not going to leave me behind. And the Holy Spirit, He's my assurance of that. And He's also my witness that I'm a son of God. And that I can come and pray. You know how I pray. Maybe a lot of it's just habit and tradition. But when I pray, every time I start, our Lord, God, and Father. Maybe you in some way pray that way too. When you're praying, do you ever say, Oh, Father. You know who prayed like that? Find an Old Testament man that ever prayed like that. I believe you're going to find the first person in the Bible to ever pray like that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord prayed, Father, Abba, Father. And He could bow on His face because He was the Son. He was the only begotten Son. And He could bow on His face and say, Oh God, my Father. Well, you know what He's done for us? He's given us this Spirit this crown of righteousness. He's given us not just a spirit, but His Spirit, the person of the Holy Ghost, and that through Him now, through the Spirit in me, it cries, Abba, Father. And that I fall on my face, and I can come before God, not, oh God, you holy and righteous man that I'm unable to come to, but I can come to Him and say, God, my Father, the one that adopted me, the one that's brought me into the family, the one that's taken away my sins, the one that I know and am confident loves me, I can pray to Him in the Spirit with full assurance that He's going to hear me. I've got that. I've got that through Jesus. And by the assurance of the Word of God. But we can't stop without looking just a little farther. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then shalt also... Thou shalt also judge my house and shalt also keep my courts and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Now, does this, everything we've already covered, does this throw a wrench in all of that? Is this contrary 
to what God's already done. It can't be. But you see how I could take that one verse and not look at the context around it and say, if you don't do it, you ain't got it. You see how that can be done? That's dangerous. That's done very often. This verse is taken out of the place where God put it and it's placed and used in a manner that God did not intend it to be used. But you know what I see here? I see this work that God has done for Joshua. And then there is a continuing that Joshua is expected to do. Now there's something that's gone today. Man loves to rejoice when you preach about what God has done. But you know, that's not the end of it. You know when I got all that? When when did I receive this entire work that we've preached about up until now? That was a one-time thing. I got that on an altar. God saved me. God justified me. God adopted me. God put His Spirit in me. And that can never be taken away. That's a wonderful thing. And it's sure. But I tell you this, if, if there's no life change after that, see, man wants to take that on its own and run with it and say, well, God's forgiven me back in the past, back 30 or 40 or 50 or 70 years ago. Nowadays, all you've got to do is to die to be justified. If you die, there'll be a man say you went to heaven. Don't matter how you lived. It'll happen. But you know, we take the Word of God as a whole. We look at the Word of God as a whole. Yes, God's salvation is sure, steadfast, unmovable, cannot be undone, and cannot be taken away. But along with that, that indwelling Spirit, it regenerates. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, He's a new he is. That's the word. Is. Not will be. Not working on it. Not going to be one day. But I tell you there, at that point of justification, God made me a new creature in Jesus Christ. He says there, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now that's a, that's a drastic change, wouldn't you say? Just get this picture. If you went out today, and this evening at 6 you come back in, and everything in here was new. We had new carpet, new benches, new windows, new walls, new furniture, new everything. Would anybody not recognize something's different? Could you come in to this place and everything be in you and you not know it? So you're telling me then that God has remade you and I can't see it? That's a lie of the devil. It's a lie. No, I tell you what God does. God does a work that justifies me. God does a work that changes me. And He says this in Peter. Why, preacher, you got to keep it yourself. Do you? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Incorruptible, undefiled, so it doesn't rot or decay. It doesn't become defiled. 
It's not that that fadeth away, but it's sure, it's reserved. God has made a reservation for me in glory. Ain't that wonderful? For you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Who's keeping this? Why, God said, Abraham, listen here, buddy. I'll bring Jesus through your seed if you can do right and live right. And Abraham shook God's hand and said, All right, God, I'll do my part and I expect you to do yours. And in just a day or two, he's going to lie about his wife. And you know, you hear this sometimes. Well, he lied. And well, that ain't that bad. But you know what he was going to do now? He lied about his wife and was going to allow another man to take her in, sleep with her, and marry her. And he was going to pretend like, and if it hadn't have been for God, that would have happened. Boy, he let down his end of the bargain, didn't he? But you know what? When they made an agreement, God didn't say, Abraham, you do and I'll do. God said, Abraham, I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless the world through you. This is my work. You know what the church is? I tell you, the church is the Lord's work. I don't have to worry about whether people are going to stay or not. If God is in them, God will keep them. It's as simple as Philippians chapter number 1. Paul says, I'm confident of this. I'm confident that he that began a good work He began it down here, didn't he? This is where the work began. That was far from the finish of it. Well, he's left me to finish. He wrote the first chapter of the book and he's left me to finish the job. Paul said he's the author and finisher of our faith. And Paul said, I'm confident of this church at Philippi. I'm confident that the God that began the good work in you, He will finish it. He'll perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why can the church stay? Because they can't leave. Is that not true? That Jeremiah, now Jeremiah was mistreated, he was hated, He's thrown down in the dungeon and he's fed the bread of affliction. They're giving him just enough water and enough bread so that he don't die. But he's always hungry and he's always thirsty and he's in the dungeon sunk up to his armpits in mire and he gets to feeling sorry and he says, you know, this God has got me into nothing but trouble. I'll never speak His name again. I'm not going to speak His law. I'm not going to prophesy for Him. I'm done. I don't know how long that lasted. But it didn't last forever because He says, but it was a fire shut up in my bones and I could not stay. That's the God I've got. I've got a God. You know, you see parents today and I'm sure you've ever won shook your head at times at a mama or a daddy that had zero control. Haven't you? You've shook your head and said, what a shame that is. 
You're telling me God the Father don't have control over His children? I beg to differ. What the problem is, is people aren't saved. But when God does this work, this justifying, this saving work, the life will be different. It cannot help but be different.